We're looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 this morning, and we're going to kind of look at it. I, I want to take a little different look sometimes than a lot of people do. Um, it's a very familiar passage, but I'm going to read it to you. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. All right, so I want to start by saying I understand, you know, this time of year, last week our small group, we were talking about this, how stressful this time of year can be. It's, it's gifts, it's finances to buy the gifts, it's family, it's sometimes families coming that you're not as thrilled they're coming, or sometimes you're, you're leaving school, you're going home to family, and you know there's going to be that crazy uncle or, their, or that walk, wacky aunt, you know, the, those types of people that drive you crazy, and you're not, and okay, a lot, of you, a lot of you are responding viscerally to me right now, all I'm seeing. Is I, I'm saying your your yeah your sister, that type of thing. Okay, so it's a stressful time. Um, it, it, this time of peace on earth and silent night is kind of stressful, and I think of Mary and Joseph at this time, and the stress they're going through. Um, I, years ago, I kind of looked at some of this, and I re-looked at a, a rabbit trail from from years ago about about weddings because weddings are stressful. You know, I've done quite a few weddings and, and dealt with people as they're getting ready for weddings and they talk about the stress that's involved in dealing with parents and mothers and fathers and all that kind of stuff. It's stressful, especially for brides. And it is amazing. If you do a search, it's amazing the number of magazines that are out for brides and how many of them deal with stress in that situation. There is, uh, there's, there's bride, there's, let's see, I think I have one of them here. There, there's Bride Magazine, you know? I'm, I'm an expert on this stuff, right? Okay. Bride, Modern Bride, Today's Bride, Elegant Bride. Then it gets regional, Chicago Bride, New Jersey Bride. Then there's uh, Rocky Mountain Bride. I don't know if that's the groom. I'm not sure what the deal is in this whole situation. It's just a weird, to me, it just hit me as a weird picture. Um, and so I felt like it, it was incumbent on me to share it with you. There's Montana Bride. Then, uh, this is what got me. Then there's Idaho Bride. Then there's Southern Idaho Bride. I mean, you talk, uh, there's like three weddings a year in that part of the country, but here's a picture from one of them. <laughs> that just seems kind of scary to me. <laughs> if my wife had insisted on a picture like that, when we were getting ready to get married, I'd be like... <laughs> Second thoughts, boys. Second thoughts, yeah. Okay. All right. And I've joked about this before, but there are no groom magazines. You, you ever notice that? There's just a whole, because no one cares what the groom looks like, right? Right? I mean, how many of you walk out of a wedding going, the groom looked magnificent? <laughs> no, you don't. 
No. A groom, to me, is like a restroom in an art gallery. You have to go, you, you have to have one, but no one goes there to see it. Right? That's the way it is. Grooms are a prop. That's the way it is. Okay, I'm, good. I'm, I'm just starting to just stop. Okay, so we know this story. We know what's going on here. Um, but what can we learn from it? So let's investigate this way, because in a very beautiful way here, we see the love of God, and we see the cost of love, and we see the cost of doing his will. And, I, and I, so I, I named it the scandal of Jesus, because I think there's something very important that's going on here. And we, you know, we're all familiar, especially because people talk more, I feel like, more about Mary than about Joseph, but Mary, you know, the angel comes and tells her stuff and tells her not to fear. You know, it's always interesting to me, the first thing they, is fear not. Why? What is, what is she thinking at that moment that the angel knows? Don't, no, don't fear. Don't fear. Because here's this, just a young, pure girl, pure, young, poor girl, I'm not, obscure village in the middle of nowhere. Nothing special that would make her get singled out. And then she's informed of what's, she's going to get pregnant. It's going to be miraculous. And she doesn't understand. But she does know this. Right? She doesn't know a lot of what's going on, but she does know this. She knows she's not married yet fully. The marriage has not been consummated. She knows this. She's engaged to Joseph. She knows this. She's going to have to go to him and tell him this. She's going to have to say, I'm pregnant, but I haven't been unfaithful. Is he going to believe her? Would you believe her? She says, I've been visited by an angel, and God made me pregnant. And I'm sure Joseph's first thing is, yeah, right. Happens all the time. So she knows this. She knows what happens to people who get pregnant before they're married. And, and it would, the Jews would literally consider it adultery. She has been betrothed to him, so to have sex with another person would be adultery. It would be public. She would be taken to the town square and her clothes would have been ripped off. Her hair would have been let down because that's the sign of a prostitute. She would have been stripped of her jewelry and she would have been shamed before the whole community. And so she knew that this meant I'm going to lose my marriage. And she also knew that quite possibly it could be if things got out of hand, I could lose my life. And she knew this. She knew the whole town would know it's a small town, maybe a couple hundred people there. And have you ever heard of a small town where people don't gossip? She knew she'd lose her reputation. And she knew that even if somehow she could convince Joseph and he believed her, no one else would. No one would believe her. She knows what people think, especially in that day, of pregnant, unwed girls. And this is what she says to God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. That's an incredible act of faith. She says, I surrender all. She said, she said, you are the one thing. You're the one thing. Nothing else matters compared to you. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She made a costly decision. This is a dangerous prayer she's praying right here. 
She's saying, not my will, but your will be done. Her son echoed that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so she decides to do that. And then things begin happening, and we know some of these. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, treasured and pondered are really key words in this. They, they're words that harken back to the Old Testament. They're, they're the Greek words that have uh, a Hebrew equivalents that oftentimes uh, this, these words were used of the prophets. And, and I used to think it was kind of cool, like Mary was keeping a mental scrapbook. You know what I'm saying? She's treasured and pondered these things, because that's what we think. Like, wow, this is so cool and special. Look at these gifts. I have to write a thank you note to everybody. You know, mom stuff, that kind of stuff. But treasured and, po- and pondered is, is the idea of when the prophets, they would figure out what God was doing so, that, so then they could relay that to the people. And, and it had this, this implication of a, of a reflection and a thinking that leads to action. And it requires intellect and spiritual sensitivity. And one other thing, it requires courage. Because the prophets often had to have the raw guts to go public with what would might be an unpopular message and call the people to respond. And Mary is thinking that way. She's thinking it through. It takes intellect. It takes courage. It takes spiritual sensitivity to think these things through and to realize the implications of what is going on and how this will affect her. And so this is what's going on with Mary, and that's just kind of a beginning. There's lots more, but I feel like we've heard a lot of that. Let's, let's, now let's go to Joseph's side of the story. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, faithful to the law is a key word there now. This is, this is the Greek word, has a Hebrew equivalent. The Hebrew is sadiq, which means a righteous person. Sadiq is righteous. It's a righteous person. That's why they translate it here, faithful to the law, because that's what a righteous person is. Joseph is, and it's the idea that this righteousness is obvious to everyone. Joseph is considered in his community to be a righteous man. And not many people would be considered that way. Because what it means is in life, in relationships, in business, in everything you do, you say, I'm a follower of Torah. I eat no unclean foods. I don't hang around with the wrong kind of people. I don't keep my shop open on Sabbath just to make a few more drachmas or whatever they made. It's a, it's a description and it's a title that's given to a person. And in a small village, everyone knows who the Sadiq is. They know who they are. So no one invited Joseph over for a ham sandwich. Right? They knew. Everyone wanted to be. This is something that people, and we don't have that sense in our culture anymore. But this is something that people wanted very much. It was a great honor and a great privilege to be called Sadiq, to be called a righteous one. It was like every businessman, I don't know, how to, every businessman wants to be a CEO. Every athlete wants to be an all-star. Every good college football player wants to be drafted by Washington. It's something they just want more than anything else in the world. You understand what I'm now? You get it right now. Yeah, you're like, oh, I see. People wanted to be a sadiq. You were looked up to. You were admired. You were somebody. And this is what he is. He's a sadiq with a problem. He's engaged. His, fi- his fiance is pregnant, and he's not the father. And for a sadiq, there's not a lot of options here. Because Torah is very clear. This is going to become a public sin. It's going to be obvious to all. And so it's required to deal with it publicly. 
He knows if he's innocent in the matter, he must publicly declare it. That is, she must be taken to the village elders, and he says, obviously she is pregnant. I am not the father. And so then the elders take, and then it can be public shaming, even in extreme cases, you know, things got out of control and maybe someone was stoned to death. But the key is, his reputation and his identity as a Sadiq is on the line. He's saying to himself, I love God, and I show it by following the law, and the law tells me what to do with Mary. I should lead a parade of men to her father's house and expose her as being unfaithful. But I love her. And so in verse 19, what we have here is him doing something that's very loving, and we don't see it very easily in, in, in today. But a, a while back, <clears throat> I did a sermon on divorce in the Old Testament and in Jesus' time, and basically, uh, this is a lot to make short, but I'll, I'll, I'll make it as short as possible. Um, there were two types of divorces in that day. One was the divorce for immorality taken from uh, one part of the Old Testament, and then one was a kind of a new interpretation in the last hundred or years or so, uh, which they called the for any cause divorce. And it, it, it's triggered by a Hebrew word that was ambiguous, and so this was going on, and Jesus was even asked about this, about this particular type of divorce, the for any cause divorce. And here's the difference. If it's for immorality, it's, it's a public shaming because she gets pregnant and it shows and everyone sees it. And what happens is the, um, the uh, husband-to-be, he, he rejects her, and the child, because it's not his child, and she then is ostracized, and he has no responsibility to her because she committed adultery against him, so he, has, he divorces her. It's public, and there's no responsibility. The for any cause divorce, what it was, was it was someone saying she has done something wrong, and okay, we're in, in a world that is the way it is in those days. The guy didn't have to explain what had happened. <clears throat> he didn't have to give a reason. He just said, I'm going to divorce her, and that's that. But in an any-cause divorce, what happens is he still has financial responsibility for her and the child. But it's done quietly, kind of just behind closed doors. But he takes on the responsibility for those people for the rest of their lives. That's what Joseph's doing. It says, when it says, put her away quietly, in mind to divorce her quietly, he's choosing that one. Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying, I will take care of you, Mary, for the rest of your life, and I will take care of that child for the rest of your life. You cheated on me, and that is not my child, but I love you, so therefore, I will take care of you. So he's trying to keep his his title is righteousness. I shouldn't say title, just being called a Sadiq, but this, he's trying to take a righteous stand, but do it in such a loving manner. Instead of publicly shaming and ridiculing and ostracizing her, he says, I'll take responsibility financially for you and for that baby. And so he does something there. It's, 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 uh, in his situation, it's the most loving thing he could do. It's the most loving thing that he could imagine doing that he can imagine doing. And so there's all this tension in this text. Because think about it. <clears throat> How did he find out she was pregnant? Right? 
were imagining that conversation, there's no way he believed her. Because she's saying, God did this. And his first thought is, we're in Nazareth. This is a tiny place. This is a tiny place. We're, 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 we're nobodies here. How old was Mary? Most scholars think she was 13 at the time. That's about the time that women were engaged. And so think about this. If you're in Joseph's place, you're engaged. She's 13. She comes to you. I got good news. I got bad news. The bad news is I'm pregnant. The good news is I have not been unfaithful to you. An angel came. Now, 13-year-old girl in an obscure village in the middle of nowhere. And an angel came to me and said, Hail Mary, full of grace, you found favor with the Lord. You're going to have a miracle baby conceived by the Holy Spirit. And all generations will call you blessed and they'll name a football play after you. That's what, they, that's what he says to her. That's what he says to her. Can you imagine Joseph? Yeah, right. If you were a princess and we were in Jerusalem or Rome, maybe. But man, this is ridiculous. And you can imagine how she would have protested her innocence and you can imagine Joseph's struggle. She seems so sincere, but she's 13 for crying out loud. We're a million miles from Jerusalem. We're not even close to where the action is. How, how could God be interested in... And so you can see he's struggling and he doesn't believe her. And so he's doing a quiet divorce for both our sakes. And then in verse 20, we say, after he had considered this. Now, this clues us in that word considered is to think about something, to weigh out the consequences. So there's some time going on. I, I just feel, you know, you can feel for Joseph. He struggled for the, with this for a, a period of time. You can imagine the agony he felt. The betrayal he felt. You can imagine with Mary how she feels like, I'm telling the truth. But you don't believe me. So after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine him then? Really? <laughs> I imagine he was like, yes, yeah. And so then, this time, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take her. And you think, what is he afraid of? He's afraid of offending God. He's afraid about his reputation, I'm sure. He's going to lose his standing in the community. There's no way people will understand. Joseph probably doesn't even understand what's going on. He doesn't understand this. He says, I didn't believe her until now. But there's no way that the people in the town are going to believe that an angel came to a poor couple in an obscure village and impregnated a virgin teenage girl, they will think that's a joke. Can you imagine what they think? They'd be like, couldn't you come up with something a little better than that? They will think what people always think when a pregnant girl gets married. And if Joseph marries this girl, his friends will never accept his account of what will happen. He will suffer socially. He will suffer financially. He will suffer in, at so many levels for, for making this decision. His world will be turned upside down. And then we see when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. 
And he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus. He gave him the name of Jesus because he'd been commanded to. I didn't, I didn't put it up in verse 21. He says he's commanded, this is the name, Jesus, because he'll save people from their sins. And he'll be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And God is saying, Joseph, I'm going to do something great. I want you to be a part of it. This is eternal we're talking about here, Joseph. Your struggles, your pain, your loss, it's only temporary. It's nothing compared to what I'm doing. This is momentous. This is life-changing. Joseph, I want you to be involved in this. Do you want to be involved in something this powerful, this great? Because first of all, it's going to be hard and it can be painful, but secondly, you're going to impact the world. You know, I think about us sometimes. God calls us sometimes to be involved in things. God calls us sometimes to do things, things that are not convenient, things that are not comfortable, things that we don't necessarily enjoy. And he tells us, yes, I understand, it's going to be painful. Yes, I understand, it's going to be hard. But he's also telling us that when you're doing these things, every time you impact a life for Jesus Christ, you're doing something eternal. You are not doing something temporal. When you give kids presents, in the name of Jesus, you're not just giving them a present. You're doing something that's eternal. When you feed homeless people in the name of Jesus, you're not just giving someone a meal. You're impacting eternity. You're doing something that's eternal. When you serve someone, when you give to someone, when you love someone. And so Joseph does it. He says when he woke up, he did what the angel commanded. It's not just he believed what the angel said, he did it. And he does two things. He takes Mary home, that's the legal step. And that day it meant that he completed the wedding ceremony and he publicly claimed her as his wife. That's what it means when it says he took her home. And then the text says he names the baby. He names the baby. That's another legal step. He is publicly claiming this child. He's publicly adopting, in a sense, this child is his own. So he takes Mary home and he gives the baby a name. That is why, you know, you look at, at, at the first chapter of Matthew and you read that genealogy. It's the genealogy of Joseph because it's a legal matter. It's a legal matter. Even though Joseph is not physically the father of Jesus, there's a legal matter that's going on. And so his genealogy is incredibly important. So legally, Joseph has now deliberately tied his destiny to two people with stained, trashed reputations. If you understand what he's done, this is an awe-inspiring thing. This is incredible. He did something a Sadiq would never do. And his days as a Sadiq, a righteous one in the community, are over. Whatever the future holds for him, it will not be polite respectability. He will not be honored in the synagogue. He will not be considered a wise man. No one will value his opinion on spiritual things. Not ever again. And the Bible tells us, you know, if you're from a small community, some of this you may be very familiar with. The Bible reminds us of how small communities work and how word passes and that they have long memories. Mark 6, 3, talking about Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter 
Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. One key thing there. You notice they called him Mary's son? You never call a person the son. It should have been Jesus bar Joseph. Jesus, son of Joseph. But see, they knew. They knew. And so they have a long memory. Even though Joseph quite possibly is dead by then, he should always be the son of Joseph. And so they kind of impugn the son and the mother in that statement. Jesus, son of Mary. Uh, Jesus, Mary's son. It's kind of like saying he's a bastard. It's an insulting thing to say. And later... We see it again in John 8. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? See, now they take it a step further. They get really ugly because Samaritan, this is the key, Samaritan is a half-breed. They say, yeah, yeah, your mother was Jewish, but we don't think your father was Jewish. Now, what kind of woman has a child by someone who's, to them, your mom was a prostitute probably. Your father probably was a Roman soldier. You're a half-breed. This is 30 years later. 30 years later. And Joseph's reputation has still not recovered. Jesus' reputation, Mary's reputation is still there. Only Mary and Joseph knew why he did what he did. And Joseph didn't get to see the fruition of it. He died. So he never saw what Jesus became. Mary did, but Joseph didn't. And this is the cost of love. This is the scandal of love. You know, it's so interesting when they would call Jesus a friend of sinners, which is another slur. It makes sense because he was brought up knowing what it was like to be brought up in a second-class family. He knew the whispers. He knew the taunts from other kids. Years ago, when something happened to me that I think a lot of people misunderstood, some of my kids endured taunts on account of me. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. So he knew that. Jesus knew all about that. That's why Jesus had such a heart for unrespectable people. Because he was raised in a family that lost its respectability the moment he was born. And I think maybe one reason why Jesus had such compassion for men and women who were considered scandalous because he knew what it meant to his mom that his father stuck by her when she was single and pregnant and all of the righteous people, all the sadikim, would have picked up a stone. Jesus knew that. Which sheds tremendous light on John chapter 8 where the, where the Pharisees bring up a woman who's caught in adultery. And they say it, you you almost can hear the mocking. They say it, Jesus, you're a righteous man. What should we do with her? Can you see what's going on there? Jesus, we found your mother. This woman's just like your mother. So tell us, wise one, righteous one, Sadiq, tell us, what should we do with her? The The Torah says, stone her. What do you say, Jesus? 
You see what's going on there? This is so much bigger than, if you just read that passage, you just, okay, but but no, it's all wrapped up in his family and his history and his background and the fact that they know it. And so, you know, this in John 8, Jesus writes on the ground. No one knows what he wrote. No one knows. People guess maybe he wrote mom. I don't know. I don't know. But I think quite possibly in that moment, Jesus thought of a 13-year-old pregnant girl in a village consumed by scandal and a strong young Sadiq gave up everything to stand by her side. That's the scandal of love. Jesus said to the men in that circle, all right, you Sadiqin, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And you know the story, they all broke up starting with the oldest to the youngest, which is such a Jewish thing. Obviously, they would do it that way. They melted away, and Jesus was left alone with her, and he protected her when people were ready to stone her, kind of like father, like son. The scandal of love. You know, I was thinking this week, what if this place became known all over? as that kind of place. You know, we say sometimes here, we say this is a safe place. We want you to know when you come, for people who come from all kinds, we have people from all kinds of backgrounds, people bringing all kinds of baggage. We want them to know this is a safe place. You will not be mocked. You will not be condemned. You will not be made fun of. You will not be thought less of. You will not be looked down upon. Now, I know we're all human, and maybe you've experienced that some here, but I'm telling you, that's not what we want. That's not how we want to be. We do not want to be a stoning community. And what happened? What would happen if here, it didn't matter whether you're homeless or you're a CEO, what color you were, how how you dress? What if word spread, that whether you're an atheist, whether you're an addict, whether you're a workaholic, people with messed up lives and people with messed up relationships, this is a place you can come and you will be loved. You'll just get loved here. And how does it start? It starts with people who say, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. Will you pray that prayer? Now, that's a big thing, really. I mean, it'd be flippant. We could just say, I'm the Lord's servant, may you could just say it, but mean it? Think about the implications. Think of the implications for Mary when she met. Now, maybe that's too big. Maybe you go like, oh, that's really hard. Okay, just do it for one day. Tomorrow morning, get up and say, Jesus, today, I'm your servant. May it be to me, to me, as you have said. I'll do your will. Show me what to do. Just one day. Just choose it. Just pick a day. And then maybe the next day and then maybe the next day, and then maybe the next day. You say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing. Who is God calling you to love? Who is God calling you to serve? Joseph shows us that love costs. It costs personally, it costs socially, it costs financially, but that it is eternally worth it. And following Jesus, putting him first in your life, it will cost you in, in, in our day, people get the idea that following Jesus, you know, they just make me comfortable so it doesn't hurt too much. It will cost you. It might be financially. It might be socially. You know, 
I know there's a lot of people out there that will tell you God wants to make you just, he wants your life to be the best life it can be. He wants, and, and I want to tell you something. Ah, there's truth to that, but there's falsehood on the other side of that. Because he's looking for people who will serve him. And serving doesn't all, isn't always fun. It's not always comfortable. It can be exciting and adventurous, but it's not always fun. And it's not always comfortable. It could cost you. If you serve him faithfully, you will stick out to people. The message of Jesus is a countercultural message. It offends, and it's an equal opportunity offender. It offends every culture. That's the beauty of it. It calls for action from everyone. Because if you follow Jesus, you will love those that society often hates or looks down upon or shoves aside or doesn't want to be bothered with. Those that this culture ignores. And true love does cost. Sometimes there are people who are difficult to love. Everyone has that in their life. Who, who is that person for you that's difficult for you to love? Don't point to someone in this room. Don't do that yet. Don't Keep it inside. Who is that person for you? If there is not a difficult person in your life, call me. I have a list. I'll give you some. There's no, no problem there. You know, in the next few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Christmas through the New Year's. There's a good chance that there's going to be a difficult person in your life, maybe sitting at the table with you when you eat. And you can cross your arms, and you can be condemning, and you can pick up a stone, and that's what a lot of people do, and you can pass judgment. This person is not meeting my standards. This person is below me. I look down upon this. Sir. That's what you can do because that's easy to do. They're too odd. They're too bad. They're too wrong. They're too loud. They're too something. And God says, I want, here we go, the scandal of love. I want you to love. I want you to remember that you are loved dearly and then pass that on. Jesus grew up embracing that scandal and loving people that no one else would love. And people looked at Jesus and said, you think you're a righteous man? You call yourself a sadiq? You're a friend of sinners. You're embracing people no sadiq would spend time with. But see, this is where we get to the beauty of grace. Jesus came, and it's a different kind of righteousness that he's talking about here. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying? There is a righteousness out here that is given to you. You do not earn it. They've earned. That doesn't count. He says, I, there's a righteousness that is given to you. It will be given to you. The grace of God working in your life. The power of God, because we can't do it on our own. We need him. We need his power to be that kind of righteous person. Joseph needed that, to be the man who would stand up and take Mary, knowing all the negative that would come with it. Mary needed that to endure. You remember, there was a prophecy to her. He says, this is going to pierce your heart. This is going to pierce your heart. She needed that. Anybody who wants can be a part of that righteousness because when Jesus came, he started a new community, a new kind of sadiqness that's available to heart, 
available to us, not because we work so hard to impress people at how good, how spiritual we are, but it's by faith. It's a gift that's given to us. It is not earned. If you say, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. God says, I will work through you. The Holy Spirit will come into your life when you accept Christ as your Savior, and he will work through you, and he will make you the righteous person. He will build that in you like Joseph, like Mary, like Jesus. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing to say, I'm the Lord's servant? May it be to me as you have said. Because when you do, when you do, you will begin to live that life, that scandalous life that is amazing to people and affects people for eternity. I just, I just can't emphasize enough that if we really are, if we're believing what the Word of God says, people that you serve, people that you love, this is an eternal act, not a, not a temporal act. This is an act that impacts eternity because when you do it, to the least, to the hungry, to the thirsty, to those that are incarcerated, to those that society looks down upon, to those that are cast aside or thought less of. When you do it to them, you're doing it to Jesus, he says. You're doing it to Jesus. And that's a great opportunity for us to be involved in things that will matter for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Joseph in this passage that he He gave up everything for Mary and for Jesus. And and we honor and bless him today because of his great example. But Lord, help us to be people who are like him, like Joseph, like Mary, that are willing to risk it all for you and for your glory. We thank you that your spirit guides us, gives us wisdom on what to do, and empowers us to do the things that honor and glorify you. Help us to be willing. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be involved in your kingdom and to impact people in this world for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take an offering now. I wanna say that if you are a guest here, We do not expect you to give. We do not want you to feel pressured to.